Welcome to Native Calgarian, Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestoko Maki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunray, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22nd, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda of the Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary or in Blackfoot Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. I am, my father is so Canadian, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for all Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as a guest and honoring your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything I talk about today and want to talk, the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline is 1-855-242-3310. It is open, it's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. I wanna say thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that I would love to have you subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast, pin posts on social media. And I'll give a quick shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Agent Indian, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Whew, thank you all for listening and being my Patreon folks. So I'm really happy today. I have a special guest with me. I want to introduce Autumn Eagle Speaker. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Yeah, I'm really happy that you're here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Oki Nidanakawa Utski Biksiaki. 
Hello, my name is Bluebird Woman, or my English name is Autumn Eagle Speaker. Um, as you may notice, I am wearing this beautiful, lovely yellow collar, which is my favorite color. Um, <clears throat> I feel nervous all of a sudden. That's so weird. Um, my, I, I'm from the Blood Reserve. I, my home is the Gainawa First Nation, which is just in southern Alberta, two and a half hours south of Calgary. Uh, my maternal grandparents are the late Glenn and Leona Eagle Speaker, and my paternal grandparents are uh, Helen and Stanley Williams of Seattle, Washington. Uh, my, my parents are Michael Williams of currently Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and my mom, Diane Eagle Speaker, who resides here in Calgary and is a member of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Um, we are from the All Short People's Clan or from the Running Antelope Clan of our people. Um, I can date my family, my maternal lineage back eight generations on my mother's side. I come from a long line of uh, medicine people and healers and I'm just starting to walk my medicine journey and learning more about herbs and uh, berries and just all these different usages. Um, like within our culture, which is pretty cool. Um, let's see what else. Uh, <clears throat> I, I come from a very huge family. Um, family's always been very important to me. Um, I have six children myself. Um, my oldest is Willow, and then I have twins, Rain and Sky, and then there's Cloud, Thunder, and Rosie. So they span from 23 to four age four. So I am very busy all the time. Um, I decided to COVID homeschool my kids, um, as you do as well. And so I'm very busy all the time yes. trying to get them onto that. So that's, that's that one part. So yeah, so that's a little bit about that. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? Um, so I actually was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Um, I lived there until I was 16. Um, but every summer from the time I was eight, my grandma and my uncle would drive down to Seattle and pick up my brothers and my cousins and I and bring us back to the reserve where we'd be like reserve rats for the whole summer, just running around and playing in the bush and swimming like otters all day long. And um, yeah, so I grew up on, on the bloods. Um, I grew up in Seattle. I grew up in the central ghetto district of Seattle and went through the whole housing movement. <clears throat> uh, sorry, not housing movement, the busing movement, where they uh, exchanged children from different uh, uh, areas of town to try to uh, desegregate. That's what is the word I was looking for. Um, so I actually spent a lot of my time um, in suburban areas growing up. Um, educated with a very, um, very rich kids, you know, very rich uh, Caucasian kids. Um, and then came back uh, to, you know, hang out with all my black community. Uh, I, I didn't even say that. I am actually half myself. You know, I'm half Blackfoot and half African-American. Um, my dad is mixed. He is Seminole and Cherokee. And we've got a little bit of Irish thrown in there too. Um, so I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, but I'm all Blackfoot, if that makes any sense. It makes sense so, to me. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, there's no, there's no halfing going on here. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just all me. So that's, yeah, that's the ABCs of me, I guess, in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I always love it when other people kind of tell their background. I mean, we had known each other for quite some, uh, like for a, quite a few years before I actually found out you were half black. I just thought mm -hmm. you and your sister were incredibly good looking and dark. What? What? <laughs> totally normal. Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, I, everybody, I'm the same color as the rest of my family. So I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, it's who we are. <laughs> yeah, totally. But yeah, I remember finding out that you were part black and I'm like, oh man, this brings a whole conversation about Black Lives Matter and activism and that whole thing. And, um, and I, you know, I don't know how far back you want to go, but I like that you were part of the Aboriginal People's Commission. Now it's the Indigenous People's Commission. And um, I know I met you really through, I don't know more back in like, I don't know, 2013, like really mm -hmm. met you, met you. And then, yeah, so like we've known each other for a long time and you've done so much activism. Um, I think a lot of people don't know when I don't know more really started here in Calgary that you underwent ceremony for that and you arranged that and you and the other women actually got like the rocks and did a sweat and did that work. Um, so I don't know how, like what, why did you decide to do I don't know more and, and what do you want to share about ceremony about that? Well, I guess I should maybe dial it back a little bit. So um, my background in education is political science and Indigenous studies. Um, I am actually three credits short currently from my degree. Um, that's a whole other story in itself. Um, but so what led me to that was I was actually working um, in oil and gas. Uh, I was offered a summer job right out of school and, you know, at being a single parent, you know, the lure of money sounds very good without really knowing what you're getting into. And so thus I got thrown into the oil industry um, and I had my first job and then it turned into, they extended my time there and uh, became a full-time job afterwards. And I did return to finish those last three credits as well. Um, and so, yeah, I was working in, in oil and gas and I was working in Aboriginal relations and I was working in community investment and I'm um, doing all the, that stuff, <clears throat> being there um, and starting to really understand um, the level that the community had no say in what was happening to them and that there was always strings attached to dollars and that if those those strings weren't met, those obligations weren't met by the First Nations, then they don't they didn't receive the funding that should have been coming to them. Um, and so it was really working um, at Shell. Uh, I was working at Shell at the time um, when I was on the other side of a protest for the first time, where a First Nation came to give court papers to the company, and it was the most uneasy feeling in my stomach and in my soul it didn't align at all with who I was and who my purpose in life is and <coughs> excuse me and and then that, that I guess that would have been the spring before I don't know more because it was a uh, 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 it was ACFN Athabasca chip you know, it was ACFN. It was Athabasca Chip First Nation that came to shell, uh, serve Shell. And it was in regards to uh, money that was, again, owed to them to the community uh, over funding. Uh, just lots of lots of issues there. That, that's only the tip of the iceberg. 
I, I don't want to say that that was the issue, but there's, there was lots of lots of issues. <clears throat> anyway, so leading up to that, um, there was also changes that were going on uh, in the government. Uh, provincially, the government was uh, changing consultation requirements and they were meeting with industry about what was gonna happen with these changes to First Nations and the requirements before they were actually meeting with the First Nations about who they were going to affect. And as, have, again, having to sit on that other side and be a representative of an oil and gas company who potentially is going to be endangering my people, it didn't sit in my soul. So, like, I was really, I had, I had taken some time off of work, and I, I'm, I'm shaking. My gosh. <clears throat> I took some time off of work, and um, I was trying to decide what I was going to do. And there was a lot of stuff that was starting on Twitter. I'd been very active on Twitter, on social media, for quite a number of years, and um, gained a lot of different contacts through the different things that I've been involved in, through the APC, through numerous conferences and conventions, and just, you know, just meeting people, you know. Um, and so it was through that that there was a lot of chatter happening first through the waves on Twitter and people talking about the, um, the omnibus bills that were coming up that Harper was trying to put through with the conservative government. And, and it was just the beginning of it. Um, and so I saw what was happening at the federal level. I saw what was happening at the provincial level and I felt frozen. I felt frozen as a person and I felt frozen in my job. And I knew that one, I couldn't be there anymore. And two, I needed to do something about it. So I reached out first to the government organizations here. I reached out to AFN Alberta. I reached out to Treaty 7 at the Time Management Corp um, to see if anything was being done, if they were going to be participating in it. And, um, and, and, it, and then nothing was being done. And so then I, I, I reached out to a few other different people who I personally knew to be activists or involved in volunteerism in the community and had a good like base of people. Um, and so we got together and said, look, we need to spread this message here because this is going to affect us here too. And so that's literally how it began was just a phone call to a group of friends. Um, there was actually seven of us at the time that were firstly involved um, in organizing the first big uh, protest rally in Calgary. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. It was a long time ago, but it's unfortunately as relevant today as it was then. Yes. Yes. You know, and you can see today just how Again, the government at all levels, you know, they don't give a shit about First Nations rights. And the fact that they would go to industry first to discuss something that ultimately would affect our people just sickens and disgusts me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> I, I actually come from a long line, as I said, of different spiritual people. My, my family are Sundancers. Um, I myself don't walk that road. However, you know, I am a big supporter of it and have been raised in that way. Um, 
And so when I, when I was undertaking this, one of the big things is that I didn't want to use my family because I didn't want my family to be that seen that I was, you know, being showing favoritism towards my family. And so I purposely did not choose uh, family members. I looked outside of a larger group and um, I met with a stony elder to help to guide the process, to bridge those different gaps, to bring the different nations together. And that was, that, that was one thing that was really, really important throughout this whole thing was to unite the people. And so immediately it was, when I talked to my different friends, it was, who do I know in Sutina? Who do I know in, in Morley? Who do I know in Sixaga? Who do I know who's organizing in Brockett? Who do I know? You know, so it wasn't like it was just random people. It was people who already had started to do some legwork, who already had contacts, who already had backgrounds, who cared passionately about different issues that affect their communities too. Um, and so us together, like the little web of the network just like, you know, really grew and we were able to get out that message about coming out to support these issues. And I, I really don't think that half of the people knew what was really, you know, needing to be discussed or what was, what an omnibus bill was, you know, but it was just that they knew that it was going to affect them and they felt that passion and they, you know, that it's just, it's been bubbling for so long and so many First Nations communities feel it and are just, there's just such a lack, I guess, there's just a lack in every community. And that inaction really helped to fuel a lot of um, the background behind Idle No More. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, did you guys so, get in touch with uh, Sylvia McAdam and the crew from there? How did that come to be? So right after we started talking about it, um, we had, we reached out to Sylvia and said, hey, we're Calgary. We we're on board with this too. We really want to have a teach-in right away. Um, we want to, we, we're in, like, what can we do? And then they said, okay, we're having a date. Bam, December 12th, December 12th. December 10th, December 10th. Oh my gosh, it was 2012 though. December 10th, 2012, that's what it was. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we reached out, it was a telephone conversation with Sylvia and then just saying, you know, pressing forward and just these are, there's messages that are going out. And then again, it was just like, it was like a telephone tree, you know, so we would send messages that way. And, you know, long before, and so this is too long before it was easy on social media to be able to share things, to be able to share information. Like you really had to copy and paste and you know trying to shorten your urls to try to like put that information out it was hilarious like you know looking back uh, then it's just like <laughs> mid-century technology <laughs> but you know but like that having that ability to have that um social media to spread those messages was really important to all of the hue all of the idle no more mu movement across Canada, North America, and across the globe, right? So um, I, I want to say next is that we always worked with the nations. That was something that was really important. Like we contacted all of the nations. 
we said, this is what is going on. This is what our intent is. We want to work with the nations. We want to have people here to represent because it's not, it's not about us. It's not about our words. This is about your issues and about how it affects us as a people, as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so that was also really important, you know? Yep. Um, and so after that, we had our first ceremony. Um, our elder said, well, now you need to put your intent down. You have to put prayers on a pipe. Um, and that's exactly what we did. So I offered tobacco on behalf of our group. Um, the people that were able to come out and sweat. <laughs> it was a long day, starting with going to the mountain to gather the water that we would use, then going to pick the rocks in minus 25, minus 30 degree weather. Um, yeah, for the sweat lodge. But it's, it's really crazy, not crazy, I shouldn't say crazy. It's, it's amazing that the grandfather rocks, when you choose them and you pray to them, how easily they come to you and how suddenly they're not frozen anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, it was actually your uncle, Casey, who taught me to lay tobacco and put a prayer and intention in it. And I'm not, Mm -hmm. like I tell people, like I was an atheist and I'm like, a lot of coincidences sure happened after that. So Mm -hmm. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I do remember telling the elder, like the elder Cindy Daniels. And I told her, I was like, how are we going to do this? Like, it is cold. The, The ground is frozen. And she said, you just have to pray. And boy, we did pray. (laughs) (laughs) It's like boot camp. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is, you know, and it was, it was a whole day thing. It was going out. It was putting the offerings. It was gathering all the materials. It was building the fire. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, waiting for the rocks to be ready. And then by the time we actually went into the lodge, I think it was almost nightfall. Wow. Yeah. That's a hard day. Oh, it is a hard day. And then like four amazing, intense, beautiful rounds where you don't leave the sweat lodge at all either. And the things that were showed to me through the lodge make me know that I was on the right path. That me participating in was really important. Why? Because I was able to bridge many different people to come together to create the movement. I didn't create the movement. There was groups in Sutina that after the conversation happened, they also had different different issues that were affecting um, their people, but they came together to create like their, their own protest, which took place at Harper's office um, at Glenmore Landing, uh, which then actually changed their uh, protesting bylaws of the space so that it became illegal to protest there. <laughs> yeah, thank you, uh, business in Calgary. Um, 
you know, and then them, the Sutena people coming down as, as a whole force uh, to join into the march and rally. Uh, there was uh, buses from Siksaga sent full of people, counselors, elders, children. There were people from the Bloods and Pigani, and there were people from Stony. Everybody came. Métis Nation. Everybody was present. Everybody was present. Honestly, though, um, before that moment, I don't know if I remember there ever being unity like that. So I hope, like, from the bottom of my heart, you understand, like, it wasn't, it was a huge, huge moment for us as Natives, I thought. And I, I felt really blessed and honored to be in that space at that time. Um, I knew that there had that there was ceremony that was undertaken and I knew that this was being done in a good way and that made me happy. Um, and I think it was the first time we really seen allies like really show up before I felt like there was only David Swan and you know, like just a just like, you know, five ally white people like our former church friend who was like the first person to apologize for Indian residential schools. Um mm -hmm. You know, so there was like five of them. <laughs> and now... They were like, dedicated five. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and uh, even after Occupy, because I thought Occupy was going to be the thing that united us all, but it didn't at all. And in fact, it, it actually just mm -hmm. turned into something that I wish it wouldn't have. But, you know, it was idle no more that I felt like was the one thing that finally united us as people. And for me, it was a really prideful moment. When we had that round dance in Chinook, uh, or not Chinook, um, uh, I always get it mixed Eaton up. Center. Eden Center, but it's called TD now, right? Yeah, it's TD now. Yeah, yeah I always get it mixed up. Um, anyway, when I, when I went there, I was like crying, seeing everybody like holding hands and doing this. It was this. such a beautiful moment. It really was. Like, I, I'm just, I was bawling. I couldn't believe it because at that point I had felt, um, I was with the Liberal Party for a couple of years by then and I was like, talking about Indian residential schools and how this was a problem and I didn't care if I sounded like some crazy conspiracist because we weren't we weren't really open about the gravity of that like as a nation like the CBC would not talk about Indian residential schools or anything so I was really like frustrated and Harper was a dick and putting forward mm. all of these awful bills and you know Jim Prentice was thought as an ally and he was an idiot when it came to mm -hmm. indigenous issues and yet you know, here everybody was, you know, toting him around as, oh, no, we got our, our uh, friend of the natives. Like, that was enough at that time, right? Nobody had language at all on how to talk about our issues. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, when that moment happened, I cried. I was at the hangar, though, with the Boys and Girls Club. Um, I don't remember, was that the June 10th or the uh, December 10th teaching? Was that that date? That was the January, I want to say, 10th teaching. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. 2013. That sounds right. That sounds like a yeah. timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was really, we actually did, um, so after we did the first sweat, I will say that the day, the day of the rally, I forgot to include this, is that we had a pipe ceremony uh, with the elders um, with the police that were going to be involved. Um, yeah, to have blessings in a good way to move forward. And when we got there, um, <laughs> this is really funny. Uh, there was like a group of people and um, 
there were people that were threatening to get violent, you know, and we really wanted to keep it peaceful um, because the intentions were, were laid down in that way, to, you know, to do this in a good way. It was done by women peacefully. And so we said no violence. And so there, there were people like that were, you know, tuked up that were hiding and, you know, um, and then the elder had said, our warriors didn't do that. Our warriors never hid their faces in shame when they went into battle. You show your face. And so like we had to send that message that the elder had given us out to the people. And so, you know, telling people to show their face, be prideful and remember who you are and, uh, you know, carrying that message um, and moving forward. Like it, it was a really strong message. You know, it was really important for me uh, to, to hear that too. And like that we're going into battle that this is a different form of battle and that we are modern day warriors and to remember that. Yeah. That's a really important message too. Um, to this day, I struggle with that with other folks who are want to be allies, but they're white. And I tell them, mm -hmm. I don't care, you know, if you can show your face and not get a job, but like I'm native, I don't get this, this, you know, privilege that you have. Stephen Harper literally took the Indian act list and gave it to CSIS and the RCMP and said, here are your eco-terrorists that you have to watch. Just mm -hmm. by us being on that list. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like, we, we weren't even activists. Like, I worked, <laughs> I was this dumbass, you know, drafter who drafted wells and pipelines. And I was like, dum da dum 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 whatever. This is our life. And, you know, now I'm an eco-terrorist. I'm, like, literally part of the industry that are part of killing people. And, not, and I was totally dumb and oblivious. I had no idea. So... <laughs> Uh, but everything changed. Everything changed when I had my daughter. So um, 2007 was when I started to really wake up. And I, I don't know if you know this, but Jackie Crazy Bull was killed on Sam's due date. And that's wow. why, yeah. And that, like, I, I was really like walking that red road at that time and realizing, you know, the lie of what I'd been told to what the truth was and mm -hmm. how you know, it, it, it was a big deal to lose faith in everything, like everything mm. that you knew. It mm -hmm. was, it was mm -hmm. a big, big deal. And then when I had Sam, I lost ev all faith I had in health. I thought science and health were pretty like standard. But as it turns out, there's a, something called racism in health mm. <laughs> science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like an idiot, I didn't see that at first. And I just believed wholeheartedly. And now, of course, you and me were both raising our children to think and to question and to with a with a racism lens like when you have that lens you can't unlearn it there are a lot of days I wish I could take that you know red pill blue pill I wish I could but mm -hmm. I mean it wouldn't help it wouldn't change anything that's for sure and I think um anyway I think it's really important that we point that out that we don't get the luxury of hiding our face no matter what we're doing because at the mm -hmm. end of the day we're on a fucking list by the issued mm -hmm. by the canadian government telling us wh whether or not we're indian and you know i hate the fact that there's so many people not on that list who should be on that list that's why i always acknowledge non-status in my land acknowledgement um ah, the system is so messed up man and i mm -hmm. feel like you know you with the aboriginal people's commission me with the indigenous people's commission we've like it's not like we haven't been at the table to say mm -hmm. this is wrong mm -hmm. it's just that we're at the table and everyone else sitting there is not listening 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like we've been going through this for years. I think it, I've, I was in the APC, I want to say in 2006 to 2009. And, you know, it's just frustrating trying to push things through at those levels and get the kind of, you know, support that you need, um, you know, for these issues that affect our people. Uh, and it really just, it felt frustrating. It really, really felt frustrating within the party. And so, like, I just, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, when it's time to go, you know, when it's time to go. Yeah. Or you feel yeah. like you're, you could be, you're, you're, you could be used, more useful elsewhere, you know? And well, um, it was hard. It was really hard because I had kind of groomed myself. I actually, my major goal in life was I wanted to be a member of parliament. I really wanted to promote change. I really wanted to um, work for the people because I was raised with the understanding that public service is the highest honor that you can give for your nation and for your citizens. You know, and I, I, I still believe that to some level. I don't know if that's that naivety in me or that golden hope, but or those rose colored glasses. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I was on my way, my journey. And I, I really thought that that's where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And now kind of <clears throat> taking a step back and seeing the different levels of <sighs> look at Jody Rabel Wilson. Yeah. She is an amazing powerhouse who was completely trampled on and brought down. And then the limitations within being an independent within parliament. Like it's just, you can't do anything in this system because it's meant to not work. Exactly. Yeah. And so here I sit trying to figure out what to do, what I can do to change things. And um, it's really frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah we, no. we have our um, elections coming up on the Bloods uh, in Kainai um, very, very, very shortly. And it's, it's frustrating because it's not going to be any different. Like this election change will just be another exchange of we hopefully a new chief um, and new counselors. But it's just it's still the same corrupt system that operates underneath within the Indian Act and their whole job is to uphold the Indian Act and keep our people suppressed. And so again, what do I do? I <sighs> well, I feel you. I really feel you. Um so when we did our action on Saturday in support of the Mi'kmaq, there was supposed to be a policy discussion and I just sent my regrets and said, I, you know, I think we just need way more anti-racism training and indigenous education before we can even possibly talk about the, you know, shortcomings of our policy process. I mean, you know, I, I put forward policies and got almost zero votes. If it wasn't for me voting, it wouldn't have had a vote um, because yeah. it's not for late. Well, the irony is it is for all of Canada, but all of Canada doesn't see it that way, obviously, right? So it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. And I um, I don't know what the right answers are because, you know, I thought I could get elected. I ran twice and I didn't get community support and I didn't get votes and I didn't, 
um, get endorsements. And so it was, the message was clear, you know, and, mm. and look at like you were talking about Jody Wilson rainbow. Like, I mean, here's the most accomplished person you could possibly have. Mm -hmm. You know, she told the truth was honorable, honored her people as well as all of indigenous people for Canada and got kicked in the face over and over and over. Like it, it's shocking. So for me, my job was to promote her from like 2013 up until this SNC-Lavalin thing happened. And when it happened, I actually did a whole episode on how it feels like when your mom and dad break up. Because <laughs> that's how it felt. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly I've had how it felt. Because like I had my yeah. native mom and I had my white dad and they're fighting like fucking idiots looking like idiots. Well, and she wasn't, I'm not going to lie. She wasn't, neither was my mom, but you know, it's that bigger picture that it's just such a Canada story that in mm -hmm. a white men cannot handle an indigenous woman's truth. It's just, that's Canada wrapped up in like a simple, so it was traumatizing watching this all over again. And then when mm -hmm. the election happened, you know, I'm not going to stop, you know, the opposite. I was like, so proud of her. I was proud to be a part of the team that brought her to get elected at all. And then mm -hmm. when she got into office and told the truth and did the right thing, she got kicked in the face for it. And then mm -hmm. by the very people who I'm supposed to help get elected. Mm -hmm. Sucked. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, Again. it was the worst. It was the worst. And it's like, you know, I have this MMIW policy and we need the 231 calls to justice. So it's like, fine, I'll jump through the hoops with you. I'll do it. But it's I mean, frustrating. It's frustrating to know that you have to do that to, in order to try to even get your policies heard, even to have those issues even presented because normally they would be filtered out and they wouldn't even be in their face at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I totally feel you on that. Like, yeah. I, I, and I wish I, the other parties were better, but like I went to this one uh, conversation with this Dimitri and Eve Gagnon and I talked about UNDRIP because they're talking about Palestine and I'm like talking about UNDRIP and they don't understand what I'm how the two correlate at all hmm. wow no concept of it and I'm like how are you guys going to be helping me in my party or in a party I should say that party um, and then our candidate for our area was like you know natives just need to pull up their bootstraps and and you know, assimilate, you know, so I was like, well, I can't vote. Oh, right. wow. Yeah, right. Like it, <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. So mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, it sucks. I hate colonial <laughs> politics. And then people are like, Oh, but Jagmeet Singh. And I'm like, yeah, the guy who endorsed Rachel Notley, who like in front of Evans, yellow old woman after he did the land acknowledgement was like, build that pipe, build that pipe, no concept of sovereignty issues. And John, John Horgan and, and the Wet'suwet'en, no concept of, you know, indigenous sovereignty, even mm -hmm. despite court, like, you know, Supreme Court cases over it. So, mm -hmm. and, like, I, I just don't have any faith in a single colonial party at this point. Like, they just cannot, you know, it, as brilliant as they are, they can go to school for a million years, like Elizabeth May, she still doesn't really get indigenous issues. Not really. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like, I don't know what to do with these people. You know, yeah. and, and I'm not going to lie, even within the party, when we talk about anti-racism, 
it's still different than indigenous issues. You know, like mm -hmm. there's racism and that helps all of Canada to, to understand and unpack that. But indigenous sovereignty is different. It is a form of racism, a hundred percent, but it's not the whole package. Like I have sometimes the brown and the black people within the party or, or in my, you know, so-called activist circle, sometimes be the worst racist because they don't understand indigenous issues. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. You know, it's so isolating trying to develop these allies. And then when I ran, it was really clear to me, a lot of the people that claim to be an ally, you know, would never endorse because, well, I don't want to upset this person or I don't want to upset this person. So I can't really, you know, I can't be seen as political. So, you know, my nonprofit won't let me. And it's like, okay, mm. so you don't have mm -hmm. a backbone, one. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and two, so like it was a real eye opener and it was actually um, what one of my, or one of our past candidates, he said, every single Canadian should run for office at least once in their life to know who their actual friends are. And it's true. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a hundred percent true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you went through it twice. So <laughs> I went through it twice. Yeah. <laughs> you went through it once and you're like, I'll go back again. <laughs> yeah. But I, I honestly don't believe I'd ever get um, greenlit by the federal liberal party though, because they have um, a really extreme vetting process. And like, you can have one of the most like perfect candidates and honestly, if there's someone within the party that doesn't like you, you don't get the green light. It's really that simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you know, being in the party, you make enemies. And you went through the Gretchen Martin years and that was like ugly. That wow. Yes. Yes. I went through the transition, Gretchen Martin. Like that's, I, yeah, I go, I, my liberalization, my liberal, my liberalization <laughs> goes way back into the early 2000s like I was very party involved for a really long time and again like I that's what I thought I was going to be going into was you know politics and I thought that this was really important I mean and I shouldn't say that it's not because it really really is because is, yeah. that is how the decisions go forward that legislate the policies that affect us yeah. and us not having that voice at the table and I commend you for being there and clawing your eyes out through the process but being there um, and providing that um, that voice is so necessary, um, and you know I really just applaud you for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> you know, I sometimes I think about it, and I and then I'm like, wow, <laughs> and then I'm like, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, just spend five minutes with me. <laughs> we'll bring up all those past traumas from the Martin and Christian days for you. <laughs> I'm like, wow, do I really miss a policy convention? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm nerdy like that, you know, like I, you know, I love policy and I love politics and um, I, I always, I, I don't like band politics though. I don't like band politics. So I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I've always been really been a political hound and, um, you know, watching the debates, the political debates of late has been like my super bowl, you know, popcorn and watching the idiots in the U S go back and forth. Um, okay. You know, so I, I, this for real happened this morning. So we, I always watch SNL the day after. Mm -hmm. And so we're watching. And we had this proud parenting moment when when the um, weekend update came on, and someone was like, "Oh, I love the 
this part and my, my husband and I looked at each other like oh we're we're succeeding as a family <laughs> <laughs> so we're watching SNL and it like dawned on me that this there, there's this Saturday and then the next Saturday and then there's the election so like like if the U.S. voters pull their shit together they could actually like we could have only one more SNL with Trump if if they vote the right well if they vote for Biden I I hate saying the right way but like can we all agree Trump is the worst thing on the planet like, oh yes right? by far by right? far I don't know yeah I I actually am a U.S. citizen and so I exercise my political right to vote and I do and I have already oh what did I do oh there we go and I, I sent my ballot in um, so you know, I voted you know, oh, the right thank way. God. Thank yeah. God. You know, and I encouraged my father who lives across seas to vote to make sure that he did it. Um, and all of my family that can. And so just, you know, we can't have four more years of Trump, you know, and just, I mean, that, that goes into how Jason Kenney and the UCP government is banking on the Trump getting in so that the Keystone XL pipeline can go full throttle. It's just, it's incredulous. It is yeah. just, it is incredulous. I just, you know, and a few weeks ago on Treaty 7 territory, there were chiefs from Treaty 6 and Treaty 8 that were here signing a memorandum of, under of understanding with TC Energy, with this, the former TransCanada, in pursuit of the Keystone XL pipeline. You know, it's just, what really upsets me is that our elected leadership make these huge deals on behalf of the nations without doing any consultation to the nation, without presenting to them what's going to happen. And, and ultimately, like, we have no say and it's going to affect us, do or die. We as Bloods... Um, there was no, there was very little consultation about the fracking that happened on our First Nation. And um, it's still, you know, like the, the oil industry in that area, I think it was a subsidiary company and they got sold off and they got sold off, blah, blah, blah. But again, we still have that, that plant going. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's so frustrating. So I, I'm really, really, really hoping that Trump is not voted back in and that the regna uh, just you know I'm just so tired of racism being so prevalent in our society and it being okay to treat people like they're less than human just because they have a different color of skin it you know I never thought in my lifetime or my kids lifetime that we would have to face the same kind of issues that were going on in the 1950s or in the 1900s. It just, it, it just astounds me. Like, Honestly, Autumn, I thought, I thought after the TRC, we would quit debating anything about the indigenous portfolio. I thought mm -hmm. we would be getting, you know, the land acknowledgement would, you know, basically expose the stolen land we would be talking about the stolen land and you know and equity in resource development and like that's what i thought but mm -hmm. you know you talk about naivety and rose colored glasses like 
And you know, the irony is, is I thought when I had given up all hope, I watched SNL and I actually cried because I'm like, fuck man, in, a, in less than a, you know, in, in, in less than two weeks, this could be over. I mean, it's not over, over, you know what I mean. But that bigger picture mm -hmm. of the worst thing ever. But you know mm -hmm. what? I honestly feel like Canada's going in that direction right now too. Um, mm -hmm. Because what always happens historically, you know, through politics, this isn't a I love Justin thing that I'm saying, but it's, a, you know, historically, the liberals either don't show up to vote or give some to the NDP, which split the vote enough that the conservatives get back in. And we're mm -hmm. heading down that direction again. Where this mm -hmm. pendulum is going to swing towards the conservatives again. And, you know, look at these idiots that are like Trump, you know, Jason Kenney, those, those types of people. The only reason why Jim Prentice isn't our Indian Affairs guy right now is because he died, not because, you know, mm -hmm. he always have that role forever until, mm -hmm. until they decide. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just, and I know they completely deny anything about indigenous issues, unless mm -hmm. they're willing to be like pro resource extraction. And you know the Roy Whitney's, the um, he's the um, blood Roy Foxes, Troy Foxes, yeah, Roy Foxes. Sorry, um, <laughs> you know, like these these chiefs will always say yes, and you know, and, and I don't even blame them. I don't even blame them because I know how the stupid Indian Act works, and really they're just Indian agents. You know, under the Indian Act, that's their job is to do that. And the, the system is so messed up. And then Canadians are just like, dum -da -dum -da -dum. Tim Hortons. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like they they dangle economic development, resource development. Like, look, if you don't sign on to this deal, then your, your people won't have money. Your people won't have this, you know? And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's really frustrating because there's not a lot of opportunity that is provided to the nations to create different development, right? The, the limitations within the Indian Act are so expansive that, you know, you can't even get bylaws for your dogs. It, it doesn't even make any sense. And so Seth Cardinal on Saturday pointed out about how his community over in Sutina is being hail, hailed as a success because of their economic development but again, it's what was sold out to create that economic development is not being discussed. The fact that they have given away and surrendered their rights in order to create economic development. Nobody's talking about that. Yeah, and it's you know? not okay. Uh, can I tell folks who are online about all of these like so-called um, um, MOUs? I'm like, nothing has been done legally in Canada. Because no matter what you sign today, whether it was that deal or whether it was this deal, it's all under duress. Mm -hmm. Every single thing is signed under duress. And we know in law that nothing is legal if it's signed in, in duress. But mm -hmm. everything has been. And mm -hmm. yet Canada still doesn't get the whole stolen land or nothing. And they just keep taking and taking and taking. And the irony is the economy is collapsing right now. And I feel like this is like a possible opportunity to finally just get rid of all of these people who came here for money and jobs. There is none. You can leave now. Go. And I mm -hmm. hate to be that way, but like they're not cleaning up their oil. They're not cleaning up their contaminated land. They're not mm -hmm. cleaning the contaminated water. They're just going to, you know, pick up shop and leave. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I actually see like white, 
people being all sad that, you know, towns are closing. And I'm like, shut up. The only reason why that town exists was so that you could exploit the indigenous people. You probably murdered how many women around that town in order for you to even live there. Mm-hmm. And now, mm-hmm. and now you're leaving boo fucking who, you know, mm-hmm. where, where are, where are the resources to the indigenous people? And how do you give back to people who, who have died? Like, um, I don't know if I told you, I went down to um, the Indian resident, a residential school, the Dunbo, and it's on private land and the guy won't give access to let anybody go there. Wow. I know. Wow. So we talk like, about stolen land, like every, and I, the Red Deer Industrial School that had some of the highest amount of indigenous deaths, that's on private property. One, I don't know how a farmer can just farm over dead indigenous kids, but they seem to do it no problem. But two, if we're going to talk about land back, shouldn't that be like number one on the goal list? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 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 Like, it just, it floors me to see a homeless Canadian. It just floors me to see a homeless First Nations person. Yep. Like, it should not exist. Like, homelessness did not exist in, in any sort of way. You know, and the fact that our land base is so small in comparison to the rest of Canada. What yep. is like 0.2.02% of the land base is for First Nations and the rest was taken over by Canada. And even the reserves that we did get when we signed treaty were, you know, taken down, were illegally sold away by the Indian agents um, were taken up by Mormons that would never leave Cardston, you know, um, part of the agreement with the Mormons staying was that they would never put, you know, and, uh, what was it a permanent building on the land? And that was, <laughs> that was done away like the first year that that was there, you know, it's they just come after me if I said these words. What if I blow up your temple in Cardston? <laughs> oh my God. Actually, so when I was a little kid, yeah. so the first time I came to Canada, we came across the border from the States, from, um, from Browning. And I remember coming across and seeing that huge temple. And I'm like, oh, what is that? Like, it's just in the middle of the prairie, right? And my cousins and my brothers, being older brothers and cousins, were like, you know what? You better stay away from there. They sacrifice a native every day at noon when the bells go off. And I really thought, they said, they just throw them off the top and went, okay, I was eight years old. So, (laughs) you know, I was very impressionable. Yeah, but but to be fair to you with the whole Illuminati, like, I, I believe the Catholic Church, like, literally brought the devil here. And all of this devil sacrifice crap. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't like it. I'm like, mm, I don't know. There might be a further <laughs> truth there. <laughs> well, you know, I, my mom went through the whole Mormon process and she was telling me about some really crazy Mormon stories about, you know, them having to do uh, confessions for their uh, relatives' past lives that maybe want to become Mormon. You know, like at, you know, nine years old, having to go through that, like, that's kind of crazy. (laughs) So yeah, but yeah, the Mormon church, you know, like, it's just, 
it's prevalence on the south and the fact that our reserve used to go all the way down to the the border and all the way across and you know there's been recently it's been celebrated about um the big win the big land claim win of us getting a fact saying that yes you know canada did uh owe us more land um but but uh the area that is not in the big claim is the part through waterton um through that whole area and the judge had stated that because the claim was filed in the 60s past there was like a, it was like nine months prior past the due date to be able to apply to that from the treaty time in the 1800s it, it, it was just ridiculous you know like so i mean even when we are going to court and we are battling and we are doing all the legal processes and necessary things to get the justice that we deserve as Indigenous First Nations Canadians, like in Canada, I didn't think Canadians, in Canada, um, that we're, we, we're not gonna get it. There's not gonna be resolve. Yep. So, you know, our land base, that's what makes the strength of the people is having that land and you take it away from the people and they have no opportunity, no development. Then again, like they are still, they are still carrying out the same agenda to kill the Indian. Yep. It's just, they're doing it politely and in different ways. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I tell people where it, it was, oh, who was it? I think it was DJ Indian, um, Ian Campano, who said, you know, we live in a post-apocalyptic state as Indigenous people. And that hit me for like two weeks where it was like, I can't say he's wrong. I can't mm -hmm. disprove that. And, you know, that really amplified, like we talk about genocide through the TRC and through the National Inquiry, but it's just like that, it, it's that constant genocide you know, from mm -hmm. the Indian Act, rooted from that all the way to today, you know, the racism and the health industry and the justice system so that we die, we die, we die. Mm -hmm. And there's no resolution to any of it, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that ongoing genocide, like that's, it's really serious. And the ongoing genocide of stealing our land, like it's mm -hmm. constant with that stupid justice system. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, so I'm a Yellowknife Dene, but at one point in time, they actually said that, oh, no, they're all extinct. They called my people extinct. Wow. Fuckers. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That is really crazy. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, yeah. we could talk all day, and I can't <laughs> believe how quickly our time has gone by already. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I know. So we can yeah, keep talking, but I, I definitely wanted to plug any of the uh, initiatives or projects that you're working on. Uh, mm -hmm. So did you want to talk about any of them? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, because we talked about so much stuff, but I didn't really talk about any of that stuff. So in my other days, um, my sister and I, Melreen Saloy, Eagle Speaker, who is also the owner, creator, designer of Native Diva Creations, this amazing native jewelry company. I'm not wearing her stuff today. Usually I am. Um, but uh, so the two of us, we combined our skills um, and we created a Christmas craft, a holiday craft show uh, six years ago. Um, and we just threw it together in a month saying, you know, hey, we know a ton of people that are amazing artists that need this opportunity um, because, number one, it's 
very expensive to rent retail space. And if you're a First Nations person, you already have so many barriers for economic success that you don't have the credit normally afforded to other people in Canada, uh, you know, to be able to do this. And so we wanted to create um, a space for artisans to come, no matter what their skill level, if from businesses to, you know, first timers, um, to be able to come and to be able to sell their goods. Um, and so one of the things is that my sister and I, we've kept this, the, the price for the tables uh, super cheap and super minimal um, to basically cover lights on. And the reason that we do that is because we want to make it accessible for everyone. We even have elders pricing, um, which is very minimal. And we have um, sponsor and elder packages so people can help out elders that can't afford to, you know, get a table at Christmas time. Um, in the past, we've had our, our event at the Kirby Center. Um, but this year, due to COVID protocols, uh, we've had to make a number of changes. And so we're moving our location this year uh, to the Martyr Loop Community Association. And it will be taking place. So it's the Authentically Indigenous Holiday Craft Show, Craft Market. It will be taking place December 4th and 5th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And normally you can just come, but this year due to COVID, uh, we are selling tickets online to be able to attend. Um, so it's two bucks. Um, we're asking to keep kids this year at home though. Uh, so 12 and under, we're asking you to keep kids home again due to COVID. Um, God, just COVID changes everything. I hate it. Uh, I hate yeah. it, yeah. I know I, the key word in the industry is pivoting, but it's like, it sucks because, you know, I mean, how, who can just have a babysitter for your kids sometimes, right? And especially with COVID, like, how do you mm -hmm. even juggle that? Anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you go on to our website, with us, which is authenticallyindig.com, um, we have information available on the website to one, be a vendor, two, be a volunteer, or three, to purchase a ticket for the event. And so all the links are on there, um, and you, or you can find us through Eventbrite as well. And so we were, we're really happy that we're able to create a showcase this year, um, and we're gonna be featuring um, lots of amazing artisans that live within Treaty 7, but may not, not necessarily be from Treaty 7. Um, and again, due to COVID, we're just trying to keep it local this year. Um, and yeah, so we, we will also be doing a spring show. I will say that we'll be doing a spring show and, um, we're hoping that COVID will be lifted by summertime so that we can come back and do a full summertime show as well. Um, because there's just so much gifted talent, um, in our community, um, that needs to be showcased and highlighted. And I'm just so happy that we're, we're able to do that and to help so many different entrepreneurs, become successes yes well and your sister uh one of my favorite pair of earrings that i made the mistake of giving away but you know how when people are like i really like your earrings and you're mm -hmm. like there you go here are my earrings my favorite pair she ever made me was um my princess leia ones i miss them oh so yeah. well a big shout out to my sister actually yesterday she won the international indigenous accessories designer of the year award 
So yes, I'm super proud of my sister, Native Diva Creations, um, and all of her amazing hard work that she's been doing. And, you know, it just, she's a dynamo. She's such a creative powerhouse, and I'm so lucky to have her in my family. So No, she's yeah. awesome. One of my favorite pairs of earrings that I've kept, and I will not give away no matter how much somebody else likes them, is uh, the orange shirt day one. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I have mm -hmm. those. Like, I don't think she made them for anybody except me, because she made a bunch of pins for a school. And I'm like, can you just make a pair of earrings for me? And she did it. So like, she's so great. <laughs> and I love her work so much. Yeah. So her custom anyway. work is amazing. My favorite I, are the hoops with the rhinestones. Like I love those. I'm always rocking her hoops and rhinestones. And yeah. You know, my just, girl, she so loves the um, headbands with the rhinestones. And then mm -hmm. she did ones with like the ears. Yes. Yeah, she's doing a whole series of earmuffs right now, too. So I'm just so excited. I can't wait. I love the earmuffs. I love wintertime and, like, earmuffs and all that other stuff. <laughs> I know. They're so fun. We should wear them the next rally we have. <laughs> right? Like, uh, just a whole powerhouse Native Diva army. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my sister would be down for it, too. <laughs> yeah, no, we're down for that. So just shout out to you. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes definitely and yeah like this is really great and I just want to say thank you for doing this and giving me this opportunity to talk because this is actually my first kind of interview podcast that I've ever done that I've ever agreed to participate in oh my god I'm so lucky I'm gonna call it the debut yeah, it is. It is my it is my podcast debut. It is the debut. Oh, that's amazing! But really, there's so many cool artists out there, uh, podcast uh, folks. I don't know what you call us, podcasters. I don't know what you call us. So, I don't. I'm really glad that you're on my because I think a lot of people need to hear from you and need to hear, you know, your what's going on in Autumn's world. And I know for me, I wish I had more people that understood politics, the Indian Act, you know, I, I have lots of natives that hate me for being a part of these colonial parties. But, you know, it, it's back to the whole, you know, if you can try to shut the door on a really shitty idea, and keep it shut, you know, mm -hmm. wouldn't you want to do that when you know that there's like an army of not of, of new indigenous that are willing to push on that door? Mm -hmm. <laughs> then I'd be like, happy mm -hmm. to walk away. <laughs> 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 You guys got this. I'm good. <laughs> well, I my family was pretty happy when I was not being a liberal because they were like, oh, good. We don't have to get liberal memberships this year. <laughs> right. Right. I know my my family, my my husband, especially, he's like, don't you dare renew me. And I'm like, fine, I won't. And uh, <laughs> but you, it's hard. Right. Because it's like it's so easy to be like, you know, if I if I grabbed a whole bunch of liberal memberships for the people I know and just told them how to vote and, and like basically made them do it, you know, but you can't make a person a liberal in Alberta that doesn't want to be a liberal. Mm -hmm. it, it, it honestly takes a very special kind of person to be a liberal in Alberta. And it takes guts. It takes grit. Yep. It takes a giant backbone. And it takes like duck feathers because you got to have fucking duck feathers to have all that water wash off of you because you got it from all different levels. Like it is ridiculous. We're native women. We, we have all those things and more. <laughs> right. Right. 
<laughs> you know, maybe this conversation re-sparks something. We'll see what happens. Oh my future. God. Yes. Come back. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I know, I know it's needed, you know, and it's just, it gets so hard and you get so apathetic after a while. It's and so like hard. Banging your head on the wall. Yep. yep. And it, it's hard. Like, I know that there was like, going back to I don't know more I know that there was a lot of people that through it all and through the passing of the omnibus bills and the carrying on of the Harper government that they really felt like anything that they did wasn't heard but you know <clears throat> I just want this all of that that work that we did laying that foundations you know it's just it's it's an ongoing process and it doesn't change overnight you know I like part of me wishes that we could have a V for Vendetta revolution and Canada is different and we have a new sovereign government headed by First Nations leadership. Wouldn't that be amazing? But I feel like that's a science fiction novel. I know. I know. Yeah. That's, the, that's yeah. the hard part. And then, um, so yesterday or something was the UN day. And so the liberals put out their, you know, nice little talking points of how much they love the UN. And it's like, yeah, I know, because the UN has yet to really penalize Canada for their ongoing genocide of Indigenous people. Like, and, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who's in charge, conservatives, um, uh, the red or the orange, it doesn't matter who's in charge. The genocide is continuing. As long mm -hmm. as there's a Canada, there's a genocide against Indigenous people. Um, mm -hmm. As long as there's an Indian Act, which is embedded in our Canadian Constitution, like, everything's under duress here everything and i just mm -hmm. hate it and i hate that people are so blind to it so anyway having someone like you on this show that understands what i'm talking about like all 10 of us um, in canada that can understand <laughs> this <laughs> hey other eight of us right? there. <laughs> yeah there's a, very, we'll have a there's zoom a very, party very few. <laughs> all right if anybody wants to watch the election with me, yeah, <laughs> right. Coming up too, right? Like that. That again, the Super Bowl will be coming up for for the local wonkies. So, yeah, yeah, maybe we should do that. We should figure out how to do that. I'll think about it. Maybe we can we figure out have, how to we'll do. We'll have it. a watch party or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do it that way. Yeah, I think that would be pretty good. And then just have people coming up. Because again, like it's just, it is really surprising how much people don't know or understand about political systems and how they actually work in Canada and in the US. And, you know. And here's your advantage. And I tell this to all natives. So, like you door knock, and people don't know the difference between school boards, municipal, provincial, federal. And then you and I have to know. Indian Act politics and international politics in order because of, there are issues. So it's mm -hmm. like it, it, we have to be uber, uber, uber political. And meanwhile, Joe Schmo walking on the sidewalk is like, dum, 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 keep those immigrants out. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, how, like, how do you even, where do you even start with someone like that where you and I are doing vigils for missing and murdered indigenous people? And they're just like, dum, 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 Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Yeah. yeah. Tim Hortons, which is an American company now, suckers. <laughs> they don't know nothing. I don't know what to say, man. <laughs> they just want to hang on to that Canadiana farsity of, you know, look at us, we're great 
Mountie, loving, beaver, Holden, Canadian, coffee drinking, swigging. I know. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Where people yeah. care more about pumpkin spice lattes than they care about genocide of indigenous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that is, it was really disheartening to see and support the Mi'kmaq people this weekend uh, in Calgary that, you know, and I know that it was during COVID and whatnot too, but I mean, we are pushing for allies, for people to come out and support all of these issues. And there was an outpouring of people through the Black Lives Matter movement attending these rallies saying that, yes, Black Lives Matter, but on Indigenous issues, well, I guess it kind of matters as long as it doesn't affect me in some way or my livelihood down the road. And I guess, yeah, we can infringe upon an Indigenous rice because, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever. Who cares? Whatever. Right, right. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that the RCMP, the head of the RCMP is sitting back and saying, oh, yes, well, we're investigating both sides and seeing the issues and blah, blah, blah. It is so fucking frustrating when at a pista dog, they had snipers aimed at people praying against the pipeline. That's the difference. You know, it is okay for a huge mob of white commercial fishermen to go attack First Nations people, to go punch their chief, to burn down a fishery that's not even theirs, that's an ally to them. And the RCMP is doing nothing, nothing. Worse. Justin Trudeau is yeah. doing nothing. I know it's driving me nuts because we have like the Marshall decision. We have like Supreme court rulings under their own stupid laws and they can't, they're like, well, maybe we need a, a mediator. No, you fucking idiots. You need to yeah. fucking follow your own fucking laws. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you've been trying to mediate for 20 years, trying to decide what was a moderate livelihood, moderate livelihood. Like that is just ridiculous. And just thinking about, the amount of lobster traps that the Mi'kmaq people have in relation to the amount that the company Clearwater has, it's just, it's, it's so gross. It's sickening. It is, it's like our land. It's like the land that Canada has compared to indigenous people. It's, it's so grossly disproportionate. How can anyone mm -hmm. be proud of the UN that they don't at all intervene in any of this conversation? Like it's insane to me that we are mm -hmm. here. And I don't mean that in an ableism way. Like, I honestly cannot wrap my brain around how people don't see this. You know, mm -hmm. I had to walk this red road and see this, like, huge disconnect between the average Canadian and Indigenous people. I don't understand how, like, they don't see this. I don't understand mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, that, and then the fact, too, that they turn a blind eye across the nation where it's happening over in Nova Scotia. You know, there's dwindling moose populations in Quebec and Manitoba. They're trying to protect their livelihood. And yet again, they're not being protected. You know, their interests are not being protected. You know, we as First Nations people are the natural stewards of the lands. And that voice is completely unheard 
by any level of government, by fisheries, by, you know, by they're dealing with DFO. And that's the same thing in the West Coast is that they're, again, having salmon wars and, you know, being able to have their right to hunt and trap fish. Ridiculous. You know, it's 2020. 2020. And, and the same issues that were existing, I guess, in the 70s are the exact same ones that are happening today. Yep. Right? And I mean, our ancestors have been talking about these inequities from the start, from since treaty making. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I mean, I, sometimes I think, you know, I really wish that our people hadn't been under, under duress and hadn't been starved out and hadn't been plagued by all of the different diseases that the Europeans brought over um, so that we wouldn't have signed Treaty 7. Like, you know, like the signing of Treaty 7 ultimately was the crossing for Canada to be completed, you know, and just think about, I just, just sometimes I just like to imagine like if all of Blackfoot country was its own sovereign, you know, nation within, like how different that could be again, scientific <laughs> novel. <laughs> but just, you know, I just, I just feel that our world would be so much different yep. if we didn't, if it wasn't driven completely by capitalism and greed and based on all racist ideologies. Yep. You know, though, the youth, though, they talk about living through all these recessions. They have zero faith in capitalism. Like capitalism has shot themselves in the foot that even the white Canadians are like, you know, they're never going to own a house. They're never going to finish paying off their student loans. So they mm -hmm. have like zero buy-in to capitalism. So it's like my only hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think really like the downfall of capitalism is what really needs to happen. Again, that revolution, um, you know, and, and just in change in policies, you know, and the fact that we need to go back to taking care of each other and that collectivity that we as humans need, you know, that capitalism and white ideology creates such disconnect from each other, from the land, from our families, mm -hmm. that we really need, we really need oh, just a whole reshaping of society. And, you know, that Blackfoot or Maslow's hierarchy of needs needs to be revisited and credited to the Blackfoot people yes. showing how Maslow stole that from us and didn't understand that our, ourselves as individual wasn't selfish. Ourself as individual was based on, was, was based on everyone, was based together. You know, I just, man, I got dreams. Yeah, I know, I but they're really important dreams because if we manifest them, I mean, I, I truly believe if we had sovereignty back and we, we really took care of ourselves and Canada just played along, like, that's the irony. We'd just adopt them. They'd learn all our ways, learn our language, and then we'd live together. It's really that simple, but mm -hmm. it's all that control issue, right? And that's why I have a problem with the UN's uh, sustainable um, development goals because basically if you looked at UNDRIP they're the same 
but mm -hmm. white people don't want to give control to indigenous people. So that's why mm -hmm. their, their big push is now the, um, you know, the, these, these goals as opposed to undrip. Because if they mm -hmm. legitimately cared about those goals, they'd try to implement UNDRIP and then those goals would naturally happen. So. Well, I mean, I do remember when it was implemented in 2009 and it was, you know, such an aspirational document. And it wasn't until I think it was 2011 when Canada, fine, Canada and the U.S. signed on to it. Yeah. But with caveats about what we will believe and what we won't believe, <laughs> you know, so... Yes, we believe in indigenous rights, but to a, just to a little degree, as long as it doesn't infringe upon anything we want to do in Canada and the U.S. Yeah. Oh, yes. And oh, yeah, we don't need to play reparations or anything like that. People don't, aren't owed anything. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, you know, they're starting to finally have that conversation in the U.S. for black people. And I'm like, we got to extend that conversation to reparations to indigenous people because all of these billion all of these billions and billions and billions of dollars of profit were made off of our lives and our land mm -hmm. it's so mm -hmm. simple mm -hmm. i mean could you imagine if we won like a court case to say that the natural resource transfer act of 1935 was null and void and that first nations should have control of all of resources and that we should get back at least just one percent of that amount like we as, as nations would have no boil, like no boil water advisories. Like we wouldn't have any problems with taking care of our people because we would have the resources and the, like the means to be able to do that. Again, it's about keeping the suppression of the people down and making sure that at the end of the day that we die out as soon as we possibly can. Yep. And as soon as all the water is totally poisoned, those mofos will go back to England You know, I just like going into that hole about like if the oil companies leave Alberta, yes, please go, please go. But please clean up your abandoned wells. And on your way out, how about we get some government with some balls and actually in implement some taxes that at the end of the day will benefit Albertans and our system of healthcare and education. And hey, why, how, how about we're, while we're at it, Stop trying to throw in religion into our fucking public education system. Oh my God, that's a whole nother like thing that we could go off on. This is why we homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, today we're going to Banff. What are we going to do? No, we're not going to look at the historic stuff. We're going to look at the concentration camps that existed for the Polish people. Did you know that? For the Japanese. <laughs> Yeah, for the Japanese. No, for real, but that—that's the thing. It's like the history that they want to teach in school is so stupid and ridiculous and out of touch. Like you know, I we have white people who are like, "Oh my God, all my white tears! I'm so sad that we did this to you." Okay, great, that's fine. Quit crying mm -hmm. and help us like fix it now. You know, mm -hmm. advocate for uh, mental health care that's like culturally appropriate. I should be allowed to smudge anywhere in this fucking country at any given time, and I can't. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. really fucking simple, but I get to hear, I'm speaking English in Blackfoot territory. How fucked up is that? Mm -hmm. It's such a disconnect in my heart to only have a lim limited amount of my own language to be able to communicate with my ancestors. Yep. Yeah. I feel that. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it definitely, it definitely hurts. It definitely hurts to know that I can't pass that down to my kids and have it. I can't sit down and have a conversation with elders and understand and laugh with them yep. because of that tongue that's been, <clears throat> you know, that, that they took away the language from my family and from my people and that my mom can only hear it, but she can't speak it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that my friend, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I, um, I try to talk about it with people like when I get hired to do like land acknowledgement teachings and that, but I just don't think they get it, get it. And I, mm. I hope I'm wrong. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast and are like, I learned so much. So I hope they heard it from you. So, cause I mean, I hate hearing myself. So sometimes mm. hearing it from someone else helps. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. Okay. I'm going to go through my ridiculously long um, exit but feel free okay. to chime in, okay? Okay. Because <laughs> this is probably the only time you'll hear it too, so. Okay. <laughs> okay. Indigenous have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs, services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now we have 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports organizations, and more. A really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Six Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Read it. I wanna continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer uh, space for Indigenous people, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2 to speak. Look at it as first aid for marginalization. First, you have to do something. Having good mm -hmm. intentions or white tears is not enough. Take mm -hmm. action to make change. <laughs> Speak out against racism. Ask questions with those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself so that you can advocate for culturally safe approaches like fucking smudging anywhere. Um, take responsibility for your own learning, read, reflect, ask questions. Don't expect this learning to come from Indigenous people when we have commissions, reports, inquiries, and all these things to already educate you with. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca, um, Indigenous people and cultural safety, why I should care about it for that link. Internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. 
from the Indian Act and Indian residential schools and other land clearing policies. Uh, racial tools, uh, racial has some really great resources on what internalized racism is for those who don't know what it is. There's do's and don'ts, bystander interventions by American Friends Service Committee. Uh, what to do when you witness instances of racism, anti-trans, anti-black, anti-Muslim, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, and to use these tips on intervening. One, do make your presence known as a witness. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if they want support. Move closer to yourself, or move yourself closer to the person being harassed. If possible, and you feel that you can do so, create a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so and the person consents, film or record the incident. It's a lot easier to delete it later than it is to wish you had it on video. Take cues from individuals being harassed. Um, is the person engaging with the harasser or not? Would you like for me to walk over here? Would you like to move to another train car? Would you like for him to leave you alone? You know, these are things that you can ask, but follow their lead. Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that. White folks don't tone police a person being harassed. So if I'm being harassed by someone and I say, oh, really, you think it's okay to just talk to Indigenous women that way? Having you shush me is not going to fucking help and I might throat punch you. Follow up with the individual being harassed when the incident is over and see if they need anything else. So this is a good time for you to give them their card. They will likely be embarrassed, but by giving the card, you are saying, I witnessed what happened. You can call me, we can talk about it. If you choose to press charges, if a video surfaces of the thing, you know, do that. It's a lot easier to throw out that card in two weeks than it is to wish you had it. Mm -hmm. Uh, do what you need to do to be safe. Assess your surroundings. Can you pull in support? Working as a team is a good idea if possible. Can you and the person being harassed move to a safer space? Do not call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, immigrant, Indigenous, the police can cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Do not escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous to, or afraid to speak out, just move closer being, to the person being harassed to communicate your support and teach your kids about accountability in a positive way because these fucking people are learning it from somewhere that it's okay to be this way. Um, if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. And if you go for help, uh, hopeforwellness.ca, there's a text feature for you as well. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions because many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure as hell want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous issues, colonialism, constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, typical microaggressions, or people dealing with internalized racism, who then become gatekeepers and survive off the status quo, or people who are so in their trauma they stop people from doing the good work and deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And it's sad I needed a podcast for a boundary to be heard, but here we are. 
I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt and white. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Darcy for producing and editing this show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, and the father of our child, he's supported me down my journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, we're honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. And thank you again to my Patreon account uh, supporters, Adam, A Agent Indian. This is my first time putting Agent Indian, so I'm kind of fangirling. <laughs> Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Kat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, Ra Rochelle, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or did many for financial reasons, you had to quit. Just know I support, I appreciate every bit of support you gave us. And if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. But those who can't, please feel free to email me at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast or my social media for the pin posts. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thanks for being <laughs> Thanks for being on my show, Autumn. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me, Michelle. This was great. I really loved it. And I, I afterwards, as we were talking, I thought about all the many things that I forgot to talk about, but we will talk about again. Right? There's now we so need part more. two and part three and part four. Part two, where we talk <laughs> about the round dances, where we talk more about what happened in the malls and all the flash mobs and everything. And oh, my God. And, and the surveillance. Like, when we said it, I was like, oh, my God, we could do a whole episode on like recently and back in idol no more all of those crazy things that happened to us but nobody believes us i mean there's books <laughs> on it now but it's not like anybody reads apparently yeah yeah that's very true <laughs> <laughs> to be continued to be continued okay thanks autumn i appreciate Have it a beautiful blessed evening oh you too and thanks again for coming on my show my pleasure